live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. What an absolutely incredible weekend in the NFL. There was chaos. There were all-time comebacks. We had the Bills Mafia firing off snowballs at the Dolphins. We had enormous divisional matchups. We had a ton of overtime. Seriously, one of the best two-day stretches of pro football that I could ever remember. But, but, I cannot stop thinking about, nor watching, and re-watching, and laughing my ass off at one single play. And I think you know the play I'm talking about. Hoodman definitely knows the play that I'm talking about. It's the play that he will be seeing in his nightmares for the rest of his entire life. It is the only play I want to think about for the rest of my entire life. I mean, holy crap, Hoodman. How could this happen on your watch, goat? I would call that ending a disaster, but that feels like a swipe at disasters. Disaster is nowhere near the right word for that meltdown. But then again, and I am a wordsmith, but there are no words that can properly describe that meltdown. I'm not even sure if it was more hilarious or pathetic. As always, the answer is yes. What I do know is this, though. What I do know is for sure I have never seen an ending like that in my life. The greatest coach of all time just turned a halfback draw to kill the last three seconds of regulation into the single worst play in the history of the NFL. I mean, think about it. There have been some bad plays, some bad moments. The butt fumble, the Orlovsky play, the miracle at the Meadowlands, Romo's drop PAT. But none of that comes anywhere remotely near to what the hell happened in Vegas yesterday. This is not just the worst play ever. It is the worst play ever by a mile. It is the worst play ever, and there's not even a second worst play. It was also somehow both the worst play in NFL history and the greatest play in NFL history because it is the funniest play in NFL history. Because again, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, better than this. Mac Hollins out on defense. He's all the way back. Uh, Stevenson is inside the 30, flips it back. Stanford band nowhere in sight. Uh Uh-oh, it's picked off. Fox on that call. That will never stop being hilarious. Every single thing about that play is perfect. First, Ramondre Stevenson deciding to pitch the ball for no reason. That was the first, uh oh. Uh-oh. That was the first, what are we doing here? The hell was he thinking trying to keep that play alive? My guy. There is situational awareness, and then there's knowing what the bleeping score is or not. I mean, you did know the score was tied, right? Because the only reason to start yakety-saxing is when it's the last play of the game and you're trailing. There is situational awareness, and then there's making one of the dumbest decisions ever, which is what that was. Notice I said one of the dumbest decisions ever because the single dumbest decision ever goes to receiver turned wannabe QB1 Jacoby Myers because my man single-handedly ended the last goat conversation that we're ever going to have the last goat conversation there has ever been or will ever be with one single catastrophic decision Jacoby Myers is your goat Never mind putting him into the Hall of Fame for that. They should. But they should create his own Hall of Fame. The Jacoby Myers Hall of Fame. It has only one inductee. And every single year, they keep re-inducting him into his own Hall of Fame. And every single year, he can get up there and give his own acceptance speech. Again, I'm not talking about creating his own wing. I'm talking about giving this guy his own Hall of Fame. Hell, if you want to drop a bomb on the actual Hall of Fame, 
in Canton and then create the Jacoby Myers Hall of Fame as the only Hall of Fame recognized by the NFL, I'm fine with that. In fact, that best happened. That's a great idea. How awesome is that idea? Because how awesome was that play? That's how hilarious that play was. This freaking dude. Jacoby, my man, I hate to pile on. No, I don't. My man, you are my favorite human being ever. Instead of him thinking, hey, Ramondre, the hell are you doing flipping the ball to me and just going down and getting ready for OT after that lateral? Jacoby the GOAT thinks, man, I can really spin it, yo. And now the world is going to see it. Now the world's going to find out. Bleep OT. We can win it right here. If anyone knows anything about me, they know I'm a legend when it comes to extending plays. And then dude promptly splits Chandler Jones's numbers. I'm not even lying. I watched that play 100 times last night, and I could not stop laughing. And every single time I watched it, it was funnier than the last time. I'll tell you something else. True story. First thing I did this morning when my alarm went off was reach for the phone, turn off the alarm, and call up that play again. In the darkness of the morning in bed, and I watched it before I got up, and I laughed out loud all over again. Dodger Jan was like, what's going on? What's so funny? I'm like, nothing, sweetheart. Go back to bed. 4.30 in the morning. But almost as funny as Jacoby thinking that he could be a hero and fire a dot to Mac Jones. And by the way, was Mac Jones thinking that he was going to save the day by making a game-saving and career-saving tackle for Jacoby Myers on Chandler Jones? only to have Jones stiff-arm him right into the center of the earth. Let's not sleep on that. That is an amazing moment in that play. I appreciate Mac owning it. I appreciate Mac saying that it's on him for not making that tackle. But there was no way in hell he was going to knock Chandler Jones to the ground. And the fact that Jones caught him with that stiff arm like, like he was me or something makes it even more hilarious. Has there ever been a more demeaning, disrespectful, get-the-hell-off-me moment than that? The game and probably their playoff berth were hanging in the balance, and Chandler Jones just put Mac into the ground, abusing him in a manner worse than anything his cheating brother ever did in the octagon. Like, I don't think I will ever be able to stop watching this play. I'm having a hard time sitting here and doing this show. Like, I just want to go back in my office and watch that play on a loop for three more hours. I'm not sure the NFL can ever get any better than this. Like, I need to see it again. I need to see it again. And this time, here is the radio call from the Raiders. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson. Breaks out of a tackle at the 50. Has the 45. Breaks away from another tackle. Pitches it backwards. And now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield. And a step forward. Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. And scores. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my my goodness. I can't believe what I just saw. Again. I can't believe what I just saw. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. On the first night of Hanukkah. It's a miracle in Las Vegas. Such a great call. My dude Lincoln Kennedy couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it right now. My voice is cracking just thinking about it. Yeah, I'm sure the Pats radio guys had as much fun with that as the Raider radio guys did. Actually, I'm guessing the Pats radio guys had a very different experience. Now on a third and ten, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle. Hit by Chandler. Jones slips the hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off a tackle at the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh my Jones God. is picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. Oh he God. runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Raiders. 
Juice. Good night. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. And a victory for Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You think Miami was bad? We're down here, the miracle of Miami? This is a heads roll type freaking play right here. Oh, my God. Way to keep it real, dude. You got to keep it real. The multiple oh, my gods. This is the dumbest team I've ever seen, and heads will roll. Yes, yes, and yes. It was that dumb and that awesome and that hilarious. Hey, listen, Patriot fan, don't be looking to come at me. I'm not the problem here. I know you want to fight me over it, but I'm not the problem. In fact, I am you, Patriot fan. Remember? Well, I'm half you. I'm half chowed. Sometimes you have to crack your own or half your own. Man, see, this is what happens when you let Matt the pencil Patricia run your offense and Joe the leader of men judge coach your QBs. You wind up looking like the dumbest team ever. Except this is the one thing that I can't blame on Matty the Ticonderoga. I mean, it would be such a Matt the pencil thing to draw up a lateral play in a tie game with three seconds left. Like, I so badly want that to be a called play. I mean, I knew it wasn't. But the only thing that would make it better is if they actually called that lateral. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. An egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. You can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. I'm not kidding. Try a pizza on the egg. It'll amaze you. Stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It's a ceramic marvel backed by a lifetime warranty. It's simple to light, easy to use, and it works without a power source, so there's no need to plug anything in. And with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. It also makes an amazing gift, and they have two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's BigGreenEgg.com, and you will thank me later. How awesome would that be? But that's not what happened. You have to admit, not that they had any choice, but everybody involved did a pretty good job of owning what happened. Listen to Ramondre Stevenson. And again, I have no idea what the hell he was thinking by starting this whole thing off by lateraling it. But this is what he had to say afterwards. No, the, I mean, the play call is just a draw play. And mm, I mean, nothing more, nothing less than that. I, I'm, I'm supposed to know the situation. I'm supposed to know, you know, how much, how much time's on the clock and, you know, critical situations. And, you know, I, I failed to do that today, so... It is what it is. I mean, the play started off with me with the ball. So if I didn't pitch it back to him, Jacoby wouldn't have the chance to do that. So, you know, I take full full responsibility for the for the play. And, you know, I just got to know the situation. Just, just, I just got to know what's going on in the game. Man. Nailed it. Nailed it. How you didn't know that, I have no idea. You know, this whole thing, like, I want to be honest about one more thing. Prior to seeing this, the phrase that I was starting to hate more than any other phrase in the NFL, especially as somebody who's a gambler, somebody who likes to get down sometimes, this notion of situational awareness. Have you noticed, fellow gamblers, how much money situational awareness is costing us? Situational awareness. You know, when players like slide before the goal line or go out of bounds before putting points on the board that we need to win our bets? Because of, quote, situational awareness. I'm starting to hate that phrase until this game. And now I love it again. Because they had none. My man. And I like Ramondre. And that was a nice run. But, dude, how do you not just stay down? There are three seconds left. You're getting to overtime. What the hell were you thinking? But credit to him for saying, hey, don't put it on Jacoby. Jacoby wouldn't have been in position to make the stupidest play ever had I not lateraled it to him in the first place. Well, yes and no, my man. Because even though Jacoby ended up with that ball, it didn't mean he needed to spin it back to the quarterback, who was, by the way, nowhere near the unintended receiver. So the same goes for him. 
These two combined for the dumbest, most humiliating sequence that we have ever seen on a football field. But again, at least they stood in front of reporters and they handled it like pros. Here's Jacoby trying to explain why he did what he did, which was the dumbest thing ever. The last play, just, was, the, was the plan to lateral the ball? No, nah, nah, just trying to do too much. I'm trying to be a hero, I guess. You could call it kind of. I didn't see the dude back there trying to throw the ball. Like I said, I was just doing too much, you know what I'm saying? So it just went down the ball. Was there any communication? No, nah, nah, that was just me. That was it. I mean, again, not that he had any choice but respect. He's like, no, that was not a called play. I was just trying to be a hero. Oh, dude, you are a hero. My man, you're my hero. If you were trying to be a hero, you succeeded. You are my hero. I didn't see the man. What, did they disguise their coverage? Did you not see Chandler Jones back there? So, no, as much as I wanted that to be a play call so badly, of course that was not a play call. But you know what? Even though that was not a call by the staff, that's still on the coaching staff. I mean, how is it that a team coached by the alleged greatest coach ever has the worst situational awareness ever? Tell me how that works. Tell me how that works, and then tell me, And then tell Josh McDaniels how his ass tastes. But of course, no better explanation was going to come from anybody other than the hood himself. And man, I love that it was Josh McDaniels who got over like that. Even though the Raiders did their best to choke away a fifth double-digit lead. A record. My guy Josh gets over. But, but, but. We needed to go to the ultimate source and authority, the hood, to find out exactly what the hell happened. How could that happen under his watch? We're lucky this dude even opened up his mouth wide enough to even make a single sound at the podium. If you thought maybe an all-time mumble was coming from the mumbler after that one, then you thought right. You nailed it. That final play, and it was... Yeah, the draw so, play was was it instinctive on Ramondre? Or was yeah. he given the green light to pitch it yeah, if he had an opening? We made a mistake, you know. Played it where he made a mistake what? on the play. So. Speak up, Gramps. Playing it like a mistake. Your way to own it, Hood. Thanks for clearing that up, Hood. Add that to your Hall of Fame plaque, Hood. Dumbest play in league history occurred on my watch by my team. Not only cost us a game, but maybe a trip to the postseason. And it was against my longtime assistant that helped me win all those rings in the first place. Hood. Everything about that play is amazing, which is why it's both the best and worst play ever and why I can't stop thinking about it, why I can't stop talking about it, why I can't stop laughing at it. It's why after an amazing weekend of pro football, I just spent an entire opening segment on one single play because it's one play that we'll all be talking about and laughing our asses off at for the rest of our lives. Think about that weekend. Think about that weekend. I isolated one single play on a weekend, on a Monday, in a show opened when the weekend included the likes of Matt Ryan, Jeff Saturday, and the Colts choking away a 30-point lead. 33, actually, right? The Cowboys blew a game on a Jags pick six. The Chiefs nearly lost to the Texans. We had an incredible snow game in Buffalo. Washington screwed, screwed by the refs. Jared Goff clutching up against the Jets. Joe Burrow beating Brady 45 And Argentina beats France in an unbelievable World Cup match. All those things went down. And yet one play carries a 20-minute open. Can you imagine that? 
Can I hear it one more time before we go to break, Alvy? Now on a third and ten, three seconds left. Jones will give it to Stevenson. He started right. He runs it up the middle. Hit by Chandler. Jones slips and hit across the 45 with a stiff arm. Off a tackle at the 40. He lost the football. And Jacoby Myers picks it up. He circles back and he throws it across the field. Oh my God. It's picked up by Chandler Jones. He breaks away to the 30. He runs to the 20. He runs to the 10. He runs to the end zone. Unreal. Touchdown. Raiders. This might be one of the dumbest teams I've ever seen. Might be. For Las Vegas. Oh, I don't know what to say. You think Miami was bad? We're down here. The miracle victory for Vegas. That was a victory for all mankind. Jacoby Myers, I was just trying to be a hero. Oh, dude, you succeeded. You are my hero. You are my hero. So you're hanging out with some friends, and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many, and as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out, and you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby, you're good, you can make it, it's not that big of a deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody? Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic. They're often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads in order to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. He is Charles Robinson, and not only joining us, but joining us via Zoom. Charles, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing well. New world technology. Love it. I love it, dude. Listen, the last thing I want to do is make this about me, but let me go ahead and make it about me, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think I waited my entire radio Hall of Fame career for that one play. It made all the early mornings, all the late nights <laughs> worth it, my man. I have to ask you, are you enjoying the end of that Patriots Radio's game Raiders game as much as I am? Oh yeah, no, it was unbelievable. I don't I don't think there was anybody who saw that happen and didn't you know, curse out I literally was sitting in a room by myself and I yelled out like what the F just happened. Like it was it was unreal. The crazy thing about the play though that I don't see a lot of people I don't think a lot of people recognized was if you go back and you look at the beginning of it, Chandler Jones actually causes the play to happen in some sense because he hit Ramondre Stevenson as he crossed the line of scrimmage and missed the tackle. And then a 350 pound guard did the potted plant sat on top of him and Chandler just decided, yeah, I'm not going to go anywhere. So he stayed where he was, and that's why Chandler Jones was at the 48-yard line of the Patriots in this abyss of field waiting for the ball. But had he made the tackle that he's supposed to make, that he's paid a lot of money to make at the line of scrimmage, the game ends and it goes to overtime. So he actually kind of allowed the play to happen by missing the tackle at the start. So of I think you make a great point, and we just played it back on CBS Sports Network, and you can see it very clearly, exactly what you're talking about. I think, okay, fair enough, fair point. I think what's getting lost in this, maybe not lost, but certainly underrated, is that stiff arm of him pushing Mac Jones into the center of the <laughs> earth and housing it and winning the game. It is so hilarious, and I love Mac trying to own it like, hey, listen, it's my job to get that guy down. Like, he did him like he was me. It is like the most hilarious thing ever to see him yeah. stiff arm him the way he did. What was your reaction when you saw that? Yeah, that was the kicker. That's like, you know, when the returner gets past everybody, and it's just the kicker. The kicker right. is the last one left, and he's standing, he's peeing down his leg thinking like, oh, God, like, how am I going to stop this guy? Only it's. Chandler Jones, you know, how, how what's Chandler tipping at now? 260? I mean, it was it was a bloodbath from the start. I, I Jones had to be loving it when he turned around and saw this is the only guy that I got to get by and walk all over him. He almost fell, though. That's the crazy thing is he stumbled after the play and he kept himself up. It's been a rough season for Chandler Jones, honestly, but I think that that'll go a long way in in smoothing things over for for what's been a kind of a, a I agree, but his Mac is like buried beneath the turf. He had to be thinking, why could it not have been Bailey Zappy? Why am I here? Why is it me? Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, Charles, like 
it's a Bill Belichick coach team. If I hear the phrase situational awareness one more time, especially if it costs me one more bet, I don't know what I'm going to do. But how could they be situationally so unaware for something like that to happen? They lost their minds. I mean, there was no other – there's no – other description of it. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson came out afterward and he said, look, it's on me. The play, he, he all but admitted the play was designed for me to get tackled and for us to go to overtime. That was the point of it. And he's like, you know, basically I lost my mind. I started running. I lateraled it. He was asked, was the lateral, like, was that something in consideration? No. And Jacoby Myers said the same thing. Once he lateraled it to me, I should have just fallen down. You can't put it on Stevenson because once the ball was in my hands, I should have known you fall down. We go to overtime. And you said, you know, what, I was trying to do too much, trying to be a hero. And, it, yeah, everything about that play was completely bizarre. It was uh, – it's got to be one of the worst plays in, in NFL history. I mean, I don't know if it's the absolute worst. I can't forget that – remember, Chuck Pagano, that punt formation in 2015, that was designed, it was practiced, it was put on the field, and still nobody called timeout in that situation. So that, to me, still is one of the worst – plays in NFL history, but this is right up there. It's hard for me to argue the point you just made, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume that this was, in fact, the worst play I've ever seen, the worst play in NFL history. (laughs) For the narrative? For the the narrative and because of how good it makes me feel. The only thing that would have made it better is if they actually did call the play. Can you imagine how incredible that would be if Matt the Ticonderoga pencil Patricia actually had called that play? I mean, it, that would be too good to be true. Hey, we, you and I could spend an hour on this easy, but I'm going to keep moving. Charles Robinson is my guest. I want to ask you this. When you see the Minnesota Vikings and you see them fall behind by 33 and you see them come back, what do you think? Like, I want to say to you, never mind Super Bowl contender, at 11-3, and three, are they even a good team? Uh... Well, first off, I didn't see it because I turned it off at halftime. That's the simple truth. I did. I was like, this is over. This is ugly. What a gross game. This is awful. And I went to the grocery store. And as I was in the grocery store, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, what is going on? I'm watching it on the phone. And pretty soon, I'm like talking to strangers in the grocery <laughs> store about the Vikings. I'm like, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Like some lady, like, you know, picking out eggs. And I'm like, they just scored another touchdown. <laughs> like, it, one of the craziest games uh, in, in history. I think the one thing about the Vikings is I don't think the defense, it's not a good defense. Okay. Like they make plays, they're opportunistic. Now and then they make plays and people make it out to be like, well, oh, Pat Peterson, you know, look at this play he made or that play. Well, they put themselves in situations where, they're down. They got to make these plays to come back. I think the only thing that they are definitely earning out of all this that's got to be good is they should believe they can come back from anything now because they they now erase the biggest deficit in the history of the NFL. They've done it all season long in terms of erasing deficits. That at least is helpful. Uh, but it's also still the same team that gave up 33 points to the Colts in a half. That's pretty bad. Charles Robinson is joining us. That is really bad, but you're right. They do come back seemingly every single week and late in games. What about the Colts? Like, you turned it off. What were you thinking as you saw them? Well, you didn't really see it until you went to the egg section, but as they pulled, as they choked that thing away, like, where is Jim Ursay when we need him? I need to hear what he has to say now, and what do you think is going through his mind? Yeah, I, I want to hear the whole spiel again about how it's, you know, it's good he doesn't know all this analytics stuff. It's good he doesn't know. I mean, it's just, I, I come on, Jeff Saturday, are these results really, Surprising. does anybody buy that this has been a good enough experience? Yeah, I mean, I, look, it's thir- the 33 points, that's great and everything, but that second half was, you can't get outscored 39 to 3. <laughs> In a half of football and overtime. I mean, it's insane. It's crazy to think even a half in overtime, you get outscored 39 to three. Um, I, I don't, I think the results are kind of what I thought they would be. Maybe they'll win some games, but ultimately it's, he's not going to prove out to be this, you know, amazing revel, you know, revelation at, at coach. They need to go find an experienced, great coach and stick with them. Um, they probably would have been fine if they would have just stuck with Frank Reich in the first place, but 
Jim Irsay, man, he's impetuous. He is impetuous. Charles Robinson joining us. Speaking of impetuous, what about Jerry Jones? I mean, to see them lose the way they lost. And then he's talking about Odell Beckham before the game. It shows, I mean, you report on these types of things. I can't figure out what Jerry was saying. Like, he, when asked about Odell, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's talking out his ass. He's talking out all three. Does he want him or yeah. not? And in terms of impetuous, would he be impetuous to make a move just to make a move after what happened this weekend? I don't, I mean, like, part of me keeps asking myself, like, is this the salesman? Like, is this Jerry? Remember when Cooper Rush is playing? Well, maybe, well, geez, what if it'd be crazy if we had a quarterback controversy? We're all sitting there like, come on, this is this is idiotic. Why is he even saying this? But that's sort of the carnival barker, right? That's the that's big top Jerry wants everybody focused on the Cowboys. You know, he's riding that wave. And Odell is kind of a wave. It's drawn a lot of attention, you know, to Dallas. It's gotten the fan base kind of excited, which I, I don't know why. No one's seen him on the field. No one won't work out for anybody. His timeline keeps getting pushed back. Now he says, you know, hey, I don't see the point of playing in regular season games. Probably not the kind of player I want to sign who doesn't want to play in regular season games coming off of a second ACL tear. Um, I I think that if Jerry really wants to improve this team, he should have focused more on maybe what he could have added defensively. I don't think the offense is the problem. They score plenty of points on offense. I think that defense is very much up and down. They're very much boom, boom and bust. And they're a team that honestly, I think is probably going to get run on in the playoffs and they can't, I mean, this kind of performance against any, they play like this against Philly. If they run into them in the playoffs, they're going to get slaughtered. All right. So one last thought. I thought you had a really good piece on Zach Wilson on Friday going into the weekend. Did he, do you think that he can show the jets enough between now and the end of the year to salvage his jets career? He looked pretty good yesterday. Where does that leave him now? I think he can. I mean, I, like I, I liken Zach Wilson to like it's like you're in a a bad relationship with someone who treats you bad ninety five percent of the time, but then the other five percent they treat you great, and you're kind of like, man, what if what if I could just get them to treat me like that all the time? For the most part, Zach Wilson played the kind of game yesterday that we've seen him play, you know, at sort of his best, which is still kind of mediocre. But he makes a couple of plays where you'll see him flick a ball and it'll go 40 yards. And you're like, oh, my God, this guy's arm is unbelievable. You can see the things that continue to entice the Jets. But overall, I didn't thought it was okay. I thought it was an okay game. I didn't think it was great. He made some awful throws, especially in the first half of that game. Um, but again, it's they spent a second round pick. They spent draft capital on the guy. They're going to give him every last opportunity to fail. He's going to start another game. I assume he's going to start the rest of the season. They'll figure out a way to keep Mike White um, on the bench, regardless of what's going on with his ribs. And that will be the data they need going into the offseason to make a decision at court. Really quickly, within like 60 seconds or less, do you think that was the plan the whole time, that Mike White was not going to see the field again, that all of a sudden that they just they didn't clear him? Is there really no coincidence in that? Yeah, I do. I I think it was the plan all the time. And Mike White's, you know, uh, ribs, which, you know, look, he was he was genuinely injured, but it gave them the opening that they wanted all along. And frankly, when you looked at the schedule, when they benched Zach Wilson, if you looked at the schedule, like, man, okay, so the game I bet you they will try to get him back in there is Detroit because of the defense. It's a little bit of a, a attraction spot. And it just worked out serendipitously for them to get him back in the lineup. But yeah, there's no question in my mind. They know they have to make a decision about whether or not to pursue a quarterback that can push Zach Wilson, but they need to see Zach Wilson again to be able to make that choice. The excellent senior NFL writer for Yahoo Sports, good friend of the program, Charles Robinson, starting us off on a Monday. Charles, really appreciate you, man. Great job. Thank you so much. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. I'm talking with Jay Woods of Omega Tax Credits about small businesses under 500 employees qualifying for a tax refund from a new program. Tell me again, Jay, how long does it take for somebody saying, yeah, I don't know, I probably don't qualify. I'm saying find out because you don't know. How long does it take for them to find out? You don't have a more important 10 minutes in your day than these 10 minutes. That's it. 800-704-2000 or go to omegataxcredits.com and find out. Jay is right for your business. There is not a more important 10 minutes. Why don't we talk some more football? So if you want proof that this really was one of the all-time NFL weekends, understand that Jeff Saturday blew the biggest lead in NFL history. And that was not even the craziest thing that happened. Not only blew the biggest lead ever, this guy still has a job. Jeff Saturday still has a job, and that is not even the craziest thing that ever happened. In fact, I guess when you really think about it, 
him blowing a 33-point lead isn't crazy at all. Because if anybody was going to blow a 33-point lead in the NFL right now, of course it was going to be Coach Bra, a.k.a. the pancake-flipping, hot-take-having, talking head, who, for some reason, high school coaching is the head coach of the Colts. For some reason. 33 points. A 33-0 halftime lead. And we all thought blowing 28-3 to the GOAT was impossible to top. Please. Please. That was child's play. That was nothing compared to gagging a 33-0 lead to, no offense, but Kirk Cousins. I was already calling this the year of Jim Irsay. Who knew that his team could actually come out on Saturday and top his press conference that he had from the back of a running golf cart while ripping a heater last week? You love to see it. <laughs> love to see it. Love to, love see, to it. see it. The same guy, remember, who was spiking the ball on Twitter. Hell, spiking all of us on Twitter for that genius out-of-the-box hire. Remember him asking, demanding to know, who are you crapping? Who are you crapping? Yeah, well, we're crapping you, Jim. We're crapping you, your crappy team, and your crappy interim head coach. We're crapping the utter and complete circus that you have created. So why is anybody surprised that that happened? I mean, credit the Colts for one really good half at least, and then zero credit for chasing it with the worst half in NFL history. A half that made every single Colts fan ask, Hello? Is there anybody in there? Is there anybody in there? Just not if you can hear me. Get it, Jim. Is there anyone home? Come on, come on now. I hear you feeling down. Jim Ursay, that's not enough, dude. You're doing Pink Floyd's pretty good, but I, I need to see you now. Lighting one heater off another from your golf cart and explain what happened and why Coach Pra was such a great idea and why he didn't need any experience and why that was a good thing. Now I need to know where this guy is. Front and center before, asking, demanding to know who y'all crapping. Who you crapping? Where are you now, Jim? Come on, man. Where are you, dude? Where are you? And the Vikings. Man, there's something else. I've never seen anything like the Vikings. I cannot figure these guys out at all. At all. 11 wins. And the way they're doing it, the way they keep coming back on teams, and not just coming back on teams, but coming back on teams late, over and over and over and over again. Absolutely insane. How are they doing it? You know who else played one solid half this weekend? Bacon 45. I have Freddy's guy. Bacon 45. Tampa might have played their best half of the year yesterday. They're up 17-0 on the defending AFC champs. My man, I have Freddy's going to be like, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Old Romy's going to hear from me. Bacon 45. Turning it up. And now he's not bacon 43. He's bacon 45. And he played well. And they played well. And it seemed like right then and there, Man, maybe, maybe, maybe they were going to hit their stride. Maybe they were going to hit a turning point. Remember, they made their Super Bowl run from a wild card spot. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, right when it looked like that might happen, Joe Burrow went Joe Burrow and dropped 34 unanswered points on Bacon 45. That game went from 17 nothing bucks to 34-17 Bengals. And as good as since he was, it wasn't even really about the Bengals completely. It was about four 
Tampa turnovers on four successive possessions. Three of them that Cincinnati turned into scores. In other words, it was about Tampa completely imploding. In other words, or should I say, in Todd Bowles' words, it was Bucks v. Bucks. We're pissed off. We can't have, you know, this same old song, Bucks versus Bucks. You know, we play a good first half, and the second half we come out and we shoot ourselves in the foot either by turnovers or penalties or field position on special teams and, you know, the tail of two halves. And the half we played in the second half was Bucks versus Bucks. Right. I'll tell you what else. Father time and botched plastic surgery were already brutally tough opponents for the Bucks to try to overcome without them trying to overcome themselves too. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? And I don't remember when he just called on his own outside of the smack off itself. We go to Iafrady. Kenny, my brother. Happy holidays, my friend. My man, happy holidays. Much love and respect. To what do I owe this immense honor? (laughs) Surely you jest. Jim, I have been biting my tongue for four years now, but yesterday I chewed straight through that sucker. So here goes. Back in 2018, when it required some testicular fortitude on my part to say it, I called this program in the midst of what was to become Hoodie's sixth Super Bowl winning campaign, and I called it as I saw it. I called it as it is. I said that the hood was no goat, that he was just a luckier Mike Shanahan because he didn't just have an all-time great like Elway for four years. He had the all-time great TB12 for 18 years, and his numbers read like it. Back then, We only had six seasons of utter futility on which to judge Hoodie's mediocrity. Five in Cleveland and one in New England with not a single division championship or playoff win anywhere in the six. Now we've worked our way up to nine seasons of utter futility. Five in Cleveland and four in New England with not a single division championship or playoff win anywhere in the nine. Nine? What retread is even allowed nine seasons of complete loserdom without getting blown back permanently into position coachville? I'll tell you which retread, Jim. The one carried for 18 years by the greatest player at the most important position in sports. I'll tell you which retread, Jim. It's the one who is now responsible for the single greatest moment of incompetence ever witnessed on a football field, and I'm including Pop Warner here. I'll tell you which retread. The one who just presided over the kind of play that if it had happened to Nathaniel Hackett, We'd all have declared it all by its lonesome to be a fireable offense. (laughs) Can you imagine, Jim, if that had happened to, oh, let's say, Bill O'Brien or Romeo Cornell or Charlie Weiss or Eric Manginius? or Josh McDaniels, or Matt Patricia, or Joe Judge, we would all be saying it's because the coach responsible for it had never learned how to coach. And we would be right, because all of those guys never learned how to coach, because they learned the universally calamitous Patriot way, which has failed literally absolutely everywhere Tom Brady was not taking snaps, now including the place where Tom Brady used to take snaps. Now, back when you clobbered me on air four years ago for committing the sacrilege of describing statistical reality about the hood, I never dreamed 
that the hood would be so breathtakingly arrogant that he would hang around for years on end to prove me right. The hood was 66 years old when he was holding Lombardi for the sixth time. All he had to do was go away. And you and everyone else would have forever lampooned guys like me for pointing out statistical reality. But no, he chose to stick around and remove all doubt about who deserves the credit for those 18 years of magic in Massachusetts. Might it perhaps be the guy who at the age of 43 won MVP honors in lifting a previously 7-9 and nine team all by himself to Super Bowl glory? Or is it the coach who has averaged 7-9 and nine in his nine years without the 43-year-old Super Bowl MVP? So you ask Jim, how did that happen to a Belichick coach team? It happened because it is a Belichick coach team. Already, Don Shula and George Hallis have better career winning percentages, Jim, and they didn't have prime Tom Brady for 18 years. Soon, Andy Reid will catch Hoodie's winning percentage, and he's only had Baby Goat for five years. Hell, Tony freaking Dungy has a better career winning percentage, and he only had Peyton Manning for half of his 13-year coaching career. Jim, if the scoreboard still rules all on this program, let us all together declare the hood, not the goat. I want to hear it, Romy. Is Jacoby Myers' coach the goat? My man, let me respond to this. First of all, Kenny, nice job, Rakim. Kenny, how is it that every year when I invite you to the smack off, you are never available, but when something like this happens outside of the smack off, you deliver your best call ever? My God, dude, get off me. We are joined right now via Zoom by Ryan Walters. Ryan, great to have you on the show. How are you? Great to be here, man. I'm doing feel awesome man it's i feel like i made it to the big time i'm on the jim rome show dude i appreciate you saying that although that's not true but it's great to have you on man i appreciate that energy and i was looking forward to talking to you you know believe it or not ryan you are the seventh seventh coach that i've spoken to in the last couple of weeks that's taken over a new job so seven so i've got a pretty good idea what you're dealing with and how you'll answer but how would you describe the last week of your life and what's it been like for you no, uh, it's been crazy, obviously. Um, you know, it feels like, like you said, I got hired last Tuesday, and it feels like Tuesday just been one long day. Um, there hasn't been a break. Um, you know, obviously, they everybody I've talked to has, has told me what would happen in terms of your phone uh, blowing up and uh, guys reaching out, and, and you know, you hear that, but you, nothing can prepare you for exactly the numbers that um, the people wanting to be a part of this program. Um, so if you guys are watching this and I haven't hit you back, I'm, I'm working on it. Um, it's just, you know, it, it is hard and, and there's a lot of things to do, um, in order to, to try to set this place up to, you know, maintain and, and, and elevate the standard, uh, here at Purdue university. All right. So right there, you got me to my very next point. I was going to ask you that because you're inheriting a situation that's not like what Jeff Brom had, right? He inherited a rebuild and he leaves a program that gets to the conference title game and is playing in the citrus bowl. You just touched on it. You're stepping into a really good situation, but how do you view the program at this point? And then what's your vision for it? Yeah, you know, obviously, I'm just stepping in the building, getting to know the, the people that are in here. Um, you know, what I what I have seen that I'm ex extremely excited about um, is just the alignment with the university, the athletic department, administration. Um, everybody wants to win, and, and they're all agreement on what it's going to take to get there. Um, and so that that has been extremely uh, exciting for me. Um, and in terms of, of just diving in and getting to know the players, um, I'm excited to go to the Citrus Bowl to, in order to do that. You know, I'm staying hands off, obviously, with the X's and O's, and I'm really letting this this group um, and with these coaches to finish out the, their successful season. Uh, but I'm just blessed and happy to be here, and I'm uh, looking forward to the work ahead. Ron Walters is the new head coach at Purdue. You know, it's interesting what you said about getting to know the players. I'm curious, given the way the game is right now with NIL and the portal, you need to recruit and then you need to also retain if you're stepping into a new situation. I'm kind of curious how you're approaching that. Like, do you want to get the guys, get to know the guys, and do you want to retain the guys? Or is there a part of you that might take a page out of the Coach Prime playbook and just show them where the door is? No, I think if you saw my first meeting, it was the exact opposite approach, right? Um, 
uh, what I explained to them was, you know, this, I'm stepping into your family, into your brotherhood. Uh, you guys know what it means to be a Purdue Boilermaker. I don't know what that means yet. Um, I know that I want to elevate this program. I want to elevate the standard uh, and continue to push for um, and chasing and winning championships. Um, and so it's it's my job to try to meet us halfway, um, hire a staff that is of, of like mind and are really diving into relationships. Um, and, and with with that, I think we can do this together and try to try, like I said, elevate and, and continue to chase and win championships. I appreciate that. Ryan Walter is joining us. Speaking of Colorado, you grew up around that program where your father played quarterback. I would imagine it might be hard to remember what those days were like because you were so young. However, the story goes that, among other things, Eric Bieniemy used to babysit you. I bring this up, Ryan, because I used to talk to Eric when he played in the NFL, and, man, I loved him. I loved him. I've done this long enough that I would interview him yeah. as a player, and he was so great. And then since he's become a coach, I really haven't had that kind of access. Do you remember what he was like as a babysitter? Yeah, he was uh, about as, as bad as, like, as you would expect, right? <laughs> Playing, um, you know, tackle football in the in the living room and getting you know, blasted into a coffee table <laughs> and getting my first stitches. Um, that's that's about who he is, you know what I mean? Um, so he's, he's fiery, he's intense, and obviously he was as a babysitter as well. <laughs> That's the best. Ryan Walters joining us. I would have been so disappointed to hear otherwise. I like that. So when you think about Purdue and you think about quarterbacks, obviously one of the first things you think of is Drew Brees. What do you remember when you were younger watching him play in the Rose Bowl? You know, he just obviously got the ball out on time. You know, his delivery was was accurate. It was consistent. Uh, he threw, threw a catchable ball. Um, it just seemed very cerebral. Like he just knew where he was going to go with it before the ball was snapped. Um, and, and I thought he could run around better than people gave him credit for. Um, so, I, you know, that was definitely a guy that that I was aspiring to be like, you know, being a high school quarterback. Um, it's funny just how it comes full circle. You know, I'm, I'm in California for Christmas break. I'm visiting family and uh, grandparents took me to Disneyland, me and my brother. Um, and there's there's Drew Brees at the, at the parade for the Rose Bowl. Um, and then now to come full circle and uh, get the chance to get on the phone with him when I got hired. Um, and then, you know, uh, shaking his hand while he's, as he's walking into the building, uh, he, you know, obviously he'll be a huge asset for for me, um, for galvanizing the uh, alumni base um, and generating some excitement uh, within the program. Hey, Ryan, I don't, again, I don't want to get on the wrong side of anybody, but that, it's really funny that you said that you were at Disneyland. I had this conversation with my wife, and obviously she and I are much older than you. You're one of the youngest coaches now in the NCAA. But I was, I don't know, here it goes. Here goes nothing. I'll just say it. I think people that especially as they start to get towards geriatric stage, that still want to go to Disneyland and without their grandkids, man, I just think it's a little bit weird. I'm just curious how the experience <laughs> was for you, man. How did that go for you? Because, by the way, I did not yeah, go. Well, I mean, you know, I was... You've not gone to Disneyland, huh? No, dude, not since I turned 50-something, I haven't. Not a, other than as a parent with a kid who wanted to go, but I'm not going as a parent as a, right, by right. myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, how'd it go for you? No, I hear what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, obviously, I was in high school, so I was trying to ride some roller coasters. And I oh, oh dude, I, I thought you meant out here recently yeah. recruiting. No, 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 no. I'm, no. I, yeah, if you're asking me if I'm going by myself, that that's not going to be the case. My man, good. I, I retract that then. I, that's, I see working now. Okay, I get that now. <laughs> so that, that was back then. All right, so back back on track. So Drew is actually going to help out with the Citrus Bowl preparations. I know you had a conversation with him after you got that job. How did that go? What did the two of you chop it up about, and how was that conversation after you got the job? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, he was ultra-supportive, um, very uh, grace, grateful that, um, you know, the first – People I thanked when I during my press conference was um, everybody who had put on the old gold and black, uh, just because you know this game is it has been and, and it forever will be about the players that are playing on the field, um, and so just you know the recognition of that and and understanding that that we are in this all together. Um, I would love to have all the alumni come back and be a part of this um, and, and help out in any way that that we can. We're talking Purdue football. we got the brand-new coach, Ryan Walters, joining us for a few more moments. You know, I saw you say recently that you are the best D coordinator in the country. It's a bold statement, and I love it. I do. I love it. What makes you the best? What separates you from the others? I know you're not going to break it down schematically for me, but what separates you from the rest? Um, you know, I think, you know, like you said, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, you know, other people labeled me that as well this, this season. 
Um, so I wasn't the first to say it, but, you know, I, I definitely probably was the first to believe it. Um, you know, I think the ability to, to lead, um, the ability to adjust in game, the ability to um, elevate the, the staff and, and give the staff a platform to grow um, and delegating responsibilities um, and, and understanding that, that you know, it, it takes everybody and we have to do this together as a staff and um, as players in the locker room. Um, and I've got no ego and I don't care who gets the credit. Um, so I think the culmination of bringing all the parts together is what separates um, me from from everybody else. Hey Ryan, speaking of staff, I think you hit a home run already in hiring Graham Harrell to coordinate the offense. Obviously, you're going to throw it around and you're going to put points on the board. Why is he your guy? And then I wonder, how did you position the opportunity to him? In other words, what was your pitch to him? You know, so first, the first part of your question, why was he my guy? I've always uh, respected the way he's gone about his business. And I got a chance to play against him in college. Um, and then when he got into the profession, I always admired sort of his uh, fast rise. We've got a lot of people um, that we know in common that, that I trust. Um, and if you look at sort of the air raid system, right, um, Leach was the only guy, you know, obviously uh, rest in peace and, and much respect for the, uh, the work that he did in, in this game. Um, but he was the only guy that truly stayed with the air raid. You know, you look at the Sonny Dykes's, the Lincoln Riley's, uh, the Gary Riley's, the Seth Luttrell's, you know, and, and countless others that, that started there and then grew and obviously started uh, being able to run the football and quarterback incorporating the quarterback run game. Um, and, and generating explosive plays, that, that is what excited me. Um, you know, my style of defense, uh, coupled with his style of offense, that's explosive and, and, and generating momentum plays on both sides of the ball um, in a conference that um, generally doesn't do so. Um, I think that we have a chance to, to do something special and um, play a brand of football that is exciting and um, hopefully leads to a lot of success and W's on Saturdays. Yeah, I think it's changing, right? I talked to Luke Fickle last week, and you see Wisconsin and what they're going to try and do offensively. Like, he talked about the culture and staying true to the culture, but you see they're going to throw it around too, and you can see how things are changing to a certain extent in the conference. Before you go, one of the first things you did when you took over was you gave walk-on running back Devin Mockaby a scholarship, and that's not one of those viral moments, you know, just something you do to get everybody to look at you on social. Coming from Illinois, you've seen what this guy can do firsthand. What was he like to go up against? when you were on the other side yeah so you know watching the tape and going through the, that week's preparation you know I knew a couple of things one I knew he was going to run hard like that he's hard to bring down um, they were going to feature him um, and, and we had to know where he was at at all times um, and two I knew that he was he was going to be a, a perseverance type of a player he was going to get harder to tackle as the game went on um, because he's a workhorse and um, you know, we, we knew during the course of the week that he was a walk-on. Um, so when I got here, I, I asked Mike Babinski if, if they had put him on scholarship yet. Um, and he said, no, they hadn't. And they just, you know, uh, I think Coach Brown was was leaning toward doing so. But, you know, when, yeah, by the time he had, he had walked out of the building, um, it just hadn't been done yet. So I thought, you know, what better way to start um, than, than paying out than showing my respect uh, to the way he, he went to work and um, what I admired about him as a competitor and put him on scholarship because he deserved it. Hey, Ryan, one last thought, and I can't be much longer than I normally do, but it's that good a conversation. I appreciate you. You're 36, and obviously you're ready for this moment. I can tell. Yeah. I'm curious. I talked to Alex Goish last week, and he got the job at USF, and I said to him, how did you know you were ready? He said, how did I know? I've been preparing for it, not only for my whole life, but specifically for the last two years, and I just had a whole book. Like I, I literally mapped out what the first three hours would look like, the first week, the first three weeks, the first three months, the first six months, the one year. And then I could see without being there that when he got interviewed, he probably just dropped that thing right on the desk and said, here's what my plan is. I'm curious, how did you approach it? How did you get ready for this job and this moment and this interview? Yeah, I mean, that's a very similar story. Um, that's, it's funny that you said that um, because I have been preparing for this moment for my entire career. You know, I, um, I remember the first staff meeting I sat in as a student assistant um, with Dan Hawkins, who was the head coach of Colorado. Um, and, and that first staff meeting, seeing, seeing Hawk at the head of the table, I knew I wanted to sit there one day. Um, and so every decision I've made in my career, every stop that I've had um, has been with purpose. Um, I've learned both what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And, you know, the move to Illinois was, I knew it was going to be my final piece in terms of being ready to be a head coach. You know, obviously Coach Bielema is a great uh, CEO and, and manager of the, of the game. 
um, and his tutelage and his mentorship uh, sort of sort of you know filled the, my last remaining holes um, that I needed to to be a head guy. So when I walked in that meeting, the same thing. I had a a, a plan to build the program. Um, I had a staff plan. I had a player development plan. I had a personnel manual. I had a uh, six month calendar. I had a first thirty days uh, what we would what would we would do and what we would look like. Um, you know, and we, I had a plan for the the entire program. So uh, when I sat the the uh, Manila folders in front of uh, each member of the uh, of the uh, interview process, and I said, "Don't be overwhelmed with the with the paperwork. You can look at that when we get out of here. But the things that we're going to talk about today, um, we'll we'll dive in depth um, into every aspect of the program." Dude, your energy is amazing. I I know you're going on very little sleep. How are you as sharp and as focused and as energetic as you are right now? Because I know you're not sleeping. No, sleep is uh, sleep is uh, fleeting. Um, but you know, there's a job to do, and you know, as a this is this is what I want to do. You know, I want I want my kids when they grow up and are asked, you know, where are you from? I want them to say West Lafayette. And so, um, if that ha- if that is the case and that's the goal. Um, then I got to get to work. You know, I'll, I'll rest later when we get some downtime. Um, but right now, I'm I'm excited. I'm fired up, um, and and I, it, there's work to be done. So if there's work to be done, I'm I'm gonna be working. All right, so I'm not going to keep you from it any longer. He is the new head football coach at Purdue. That hiring was done last Tuesday. Purdue is going to go up against LSU in the Citrus Bowl on January 2nd. Ryan, great to meet you. Really appreciate you. Let's make sure this is not the last time you and I do this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good night, night.